Hi, everybody. I'm Barbara Paulson, and you're listening to Midway, a podcast on why it's never too late to restart your life. This is episode two, so if you missed the first Midway, you might want to start from the beginning. In the last episode, I met with a group of women who encouraged me to share my own story. If you're telling your own story, your story is As a way of documenting a transition that lots of women go through as their kids grow up and move out of the house. Like a This American Life about midlife. I'm currently in the midst of my son Miro's last year at home, and I alternate between dreading and looking forward to next year and the changes it'll bring. But more on that later, because for the next couple of episodes, I plan to wind back the clock to explain how I set out on this journey. Let's start here. One spring morning, I woke up in the bungalow where I live with my family in Northwest Washington. It was a day just like any other, but as I got ready for work, I knew today was going to be different. For starters, it was my birthday. Though, we're pretty low-key about birthdays in my house. Happy birthday, Mom! I headed downtown to my office at National Geographic and checked my email before the 9 o'clock news meeting. And then I came back to my desk with a couple of editing assignments for that day. And oh yeah, butterflies in my stomach. I looked around my office. It had wood-paneled walls lined with shelves of books about exotic places, colorful masks I'd bought in Mexico, a beat-up Killam rug on the floor. The room had huge windows overlooking a courtyard, and it was large enough to fit a wood farm table I used as a desk, a curvy Queen Anne sofa, and another round table where I got together with writers and photographers to plot stories. This was the office where I'd worked at my dream job. Let me just say, working at National Geographic was one of the coolest jobs on the planet. It makes frequent cameo appearances in TV shows and movies like It's a Wonderful Life. Magazine. I never saw it before. Of course you never. Only us explorers can get it. I've been nominated for membership in the National Geographic. So many people have memories of growing up with the yellow-bordered magazine on their coffee tables. You'll enjoy award-winning photographs. Though not me. We were more of a Reader's Digest kind of family. World. Whether you're trekking across Africa or racing to adventure. When you say you work at National Geographic, people are always a little envious. And at this very cool place, I had an especially cool gig. I was the magazine's story development editor, which meant I got to sit down with the editor-in-chief every week and decide which stories we wanted to tell. I got to work with incredibly talented writers and world-famous photographers. I got to spend months, sometimes years, producing 20 to 30-page stories on globally important topics. Conflict minerals, climate change, threats to indigenous people, stories about human rights issues, child brides, guest workers, water slaves. I sent writers to -to hard-to-get-to places, the Congo, Uzbekistan, Madagascar, Guantanamo, and to unique geographical terrain the Great Rift Valley, the Wakhan Corridor, base camp at K2. I dug deep into research, mapped logistics for weeks of field work, and then I worked with a team of people to package the stories they brought back into beautiful features in the magazine. I did that every month for more than 10 years. And then, midway through my career, I realized I wanted to quit my dream job on my birthday. What's on your mind, 
what do you want to ask me? What do you want to talk to That's me? Brent Sturton, one of the National Geographic photographers I interviewed as part of a special issue to celebrate the magazine's 125th anniversary. It came out just four months before I quit. My decision to quit all started with this project. For a few months, I was a part of a tiny band of multimedia journalists who set up a studio in an empty office on the seventh floor at National Geographic headquarters. A new photo editor was in charge of making a series of videos about the magazine's photographers. My name is Pamela Chen, and I'm an editor, producer, photographer, and I work at National Geographic. Pam has since moved on to become editorial director at Instagram, but at the time, she'd just been hired to help rev up National Geographic's multimedia mojo. She was young, and she already knew how to mix photographs with video and audio to create compelling stories. I love being an editor. Uh, this is from a video profile that Microsoft made about her. Like, oh, I can't wait to get home and look at these all together on the screen. I can't wait to see everything collected and go through it all. And as an editor for National Geographic, I get to do that. Every story has 10,000 to 60,000 pictures that come in, and it's the senior picture editor's role to play in following through the whole journey of the photographer. As a mid-career editor on the writing side of the magazine, I was getting antsy. I had close relationships with the authors I worked with, and I was lucky to work with some of the best. But I wanted to branch out from writing to use video and audio to tell stories. And so Pam became a kind of reverse mentor to me. And I ended up doing some of the interviews for the video project, including the one with Brent Sturton, who does a lot of investigative work, mostly in Africa. Because a lot of what I'm doing, Barbara, it's not and sit on a, on a street corner for four days and wait for the perfect moment to walk by, yeah? We wanted the photographers to explain what it takes to do the kind of work they do. My job is to get underneath the street and really find out what's going on with that phenomenon. So I'm doing like three weeks of investigation and ten minutes of photography. The kind of pressure they're under. And that's challenging for me. That's why I'm always as stressed as I am. You know? What they're hoping to accomplish. I know I can always make a better picture, but the kind of moments I'm trying to get don't allow for perfection. You know, I'm, I'm as concerned with conveying truth journalistically as I am conveying it in the most beautiful aesthetic that I can. What does it take to do that? Like, what? I'm working on it, Barbara. I mean, you know, what does it take to really achieve truth and aesthetic perfection? I mean, it's a moving goalpost. As 30, maybe even 40 photographers came in and out of that makeshift studio, one thing became clear just how much they'd sacrifice their personal lives for their jobs. I'd say until I was about 35, I traveled 300 days a year. I mean, I just never stopped, and I didn't stop for relationships. I made no allowances for anything personal. That's Lindsay Adario, another photographer I interviewed, and whose best-selling book, It's What I Do, is being adapted into a film by Steven Spielberg. Because for me, I was really on a mission to sort of get to the point where I can do stories that I wanted to do and that I felt were important. She's one of the most driven women I know. Here's how Sarah Lean described her at a recent talk at National Geographic. Sarah's the magazine's director of photography. Lindsay is the very definition of having ants in your pants. <laughs> During my interview with Lindsay, she talked about the issues she, she is cared about. I did a long series of uh, rape as a weapon of war in the Democratic Republic of Congo. Self-immolation in Afghanistan, women who try to commit suicide by setting themselves on fire. I asked her about the time she'd been kidnapped in Libya. It all happened very fast. They sort of asked us to get on our knees and lie on our stomachs, and they were basically deciding whether to execute us. What do you think drives you? 
I don't know what drives me. I wish I knew what drove me. And I wish it would slow down sometimes. <laughs> you know, I'm pretty, I, I'm really persistent and I'm really uh, relentless. My brain never sort of shuts down. And it's um, sometimes it's exhausting to live in my head. <laughs> so. so I'd been working with writers and photographers on hard-hitting stories for over a decade. But sitting in that tiny room day after day, listening to these journalists talk about their work, something clicked inside me. I'd leave each interview all worked up. And of course it was because I was feeling inspired by them. Photography has the power to make me fucking crazy. Madder than a snake and happier than I've ever been. Um, blissed out, you know, feeling like I'm losing my mind. Photography is, is an absolute obsession that sometimes I wish I could leave behind forever, but the next morning when I wake up, I'm really glad it's there. It's, it's all those things. It's the reason for my existence at this point. It is that. So yes, I was inspired. How could you not be? But there was something else. I was jealous, too. Images are so powerful that they can change the course of people's lives. This is from a trailer for the project on National Geographic's website. When people see those photographs, I hope that they are overcome with a sense of urgency. I want them to ask and scream for change. While we live in a world where it's easy to say that people don't care anymore, it's been proven to me time and again that people do care. How could you ever be done? No, you don't ever think you're done. The moment you think you've got it, you you're dead, I think. It is an addiction to be in the presence of powerful human emotions, to see the incredible beauty and desperate circumstances that people are able to survive in, to see the heroic nature of humanity. I photograph to understand. I wanted to feel like that. I wanted to be madder than a snake and happier than I've ever been, blissed out, feeling like I'm losing my mind. And so I began plotting to quit my job. I knew there'd be times I'd regret it. I'd be giving up my identity, not to mention a good salary. My husband and I would soon be paying for our son Miro's college expenses, and he'd set his sights on expensive Ivy League schools. So even though we had our savings to tide us over during the transition, I knew I'd wake up in the middle of the night worrying about money and healthcare and what people would think. I wish that weren't true, but I did worry about the loss of status that would come from leaving National Geographic. Even friends admitted they'd miss the cachet of my connection with this institution, and Miro, who'd grown up telling his friends his mom worked for National Geographic, I worried he'd feel disappointed by my choice. But the truth is, once I actually decided I was going to quit, I felt this incredible exhilaration. It was like I'd fallen back in love with life right after contemplating suicide. Because quitting a job is a fantasy we all have, right? Well, my fantasy is that I will go and travel the world and do whatever I want. <laughs> I just want to like leave everything do something completely opposite of what I'm doing. I live in a hammock in the middle of the woods. <laughs> Being really rich and not having to work. <laughs> oh, I've quit many jobs. Are you kidding me? I just told him to shove it. One day on a lark, I interviewed people on the busy street outside Trist, my favorite DC cafe. I'm and I'm just talking to people on the street about whether they've ever fantasized about quitting their jobs. 
god, yes. <laughs> All of the time. <laughs> definitely. Really? Yeah. Presently, yes. You are currently <laughs> fantasizing? Yes. <laughs> like, go to Patagonia and just live there with That's my nice. dog. Just get out of the corporate, working for the man kind of thing. Yeah. Two million Americans quit their jobs every month. The Bureau of Labor Statistics classifies them as quits. And for every quit out there, there's a whole bunch of quit wannabes. You sit at a desk and fall asleep. And like taking a selfie from where I am and saying this is my two-week notice. <laughs> Don't give your company notice ahead of time. You never know what may come of your, of your boldness and your courage to take a leap. Escaping to Patagonia or being so rich you never had to work again? Those were the kinds of fantasies I expected to hear. But I wasn't prepared for how quickly people shifted to talking about what they really wanted, which wasn't escape and endless leisure. It was more meaningful work, an emotionally richer life. I just want to like do something much more creative. And then you can have more time to, I don't know, spend with my family, my kids. I want to be really passionate about it where like my personal values and the organization's values align. Do other things that always seem to start at the top of the list but work their way to the bottom. <laughs> I'm a Buddhist nun, so no. <laughs> it's not, not a fantasy I have. So this is the story of what happens after I quit my dream job. Why even a great job can sometimes be the very one you have to leave. Why maybe the only way I could live up to National Geographic's adventurous mission was to leave it behind. So that day, after the morning news meeting, I screwed up my courage and told my boss I was leaving. It was the workplace version of the it's not you, it's me breakup conversation. As hard as it was, quitting turned out to be the easy part. Because now, I needed to figure out what I was going to do next. And don't expect the path to be in the direction you originally had in your mind. It'll change. Follow it. That's Patrick. One of the people I stopped on the street who had quit his job to follow his dream of starting his own business, I found myself listening hard to his advice. And it's not necessarily that it's going to be better or worse, it's just going to be different. The people you meet and the things that you learn, you know, what your initial thought of what you were going to be and what you're going to do is going to evolve and you need to just sort of follow that. If you're too stuck on what it has to be, I think that's a kind of kills the, kills the life of it. I wasn't too stuck on what it had to be. I didn't even really know what it was. Yet I knew the first question I had to answer. What had made me jealous of the National Geographic photographers in the first place? After all, many of them were divorced or had difficulty maintaining a relationship. The ones who had families talked about missing out on birthdays and weddings, not to mention soccer games and recitals. Many of them had gotten sick or injured in the field. A few had been trampled by animals or like Lindsay, kidnapped by rebels. I, clearly, had chosen a different path, at least for the 10 years my son Miro grew from a toddler to a teen. See, before I worked for National Geographic, I'd had the top job at a Time Inc. magazine in San Francisco. Earth Health magazine has really emerged as a leader in helping to define this And I traveled to New York for a week every month for publishers' meetings and TV appearances. This is today. Paulson, editor of Health magazine, good morning to you us with some therapies for headaches is the editor of Health Magazine, Barbara Paulson. Barbara Paulson, editor of Health Magazine. Thanks for joining us today. It was a really fun period of my work life. After I got pregnant and had a baby, though, I imposed a rule that I'd never be away from home for more than three nights in a row. 
Barbara Paulson. She's the editor of Health Matters. That may sound like a long time to be away from an infant. It sounds like a long time to me now. But to these photographers, to anyone embarked on an intensive career, three nights away is nothing. They are away for weeks, sometimes months at a time. I didn't want that life. And so when Miro was four, I realized I no longer wanted to go after the top job. I wanted more time with my son. So I landed the senior editor job at National Geographic. I was no longer in charge, no longer the career bullet I'd been in my 20s and early 30s. And as I embarked on the mommy track stage of my life, I admit I sometimes miss the intoxication of minor league celebrity. But the National Geographic job was in a lot of ways more appealing. I was learning a ton about geopolitics and anthropology and archaeology. I was working with talented and dedicated people. And since my job didn't call for travel, I was the one behind the scenes sending writers all over the world, it allowed a lot more time with family. And even as I took on more responsibility and my workload increased, I got to read my son to sleep every night. I wouldn't trade it for anything. But there was a side effect to this bargain, this decade of work-life balance. Somewhere along the way, I got too comfortable. Listening to these photographers, even though I didn't want their lifestyle, I realized I craved their passion, their commitment. And now that my son was grown and almost out of the house, there was nothing to hold me back, at least in theory. But what was I passionate about? Was it too late to find out? At this midway point in my life, did I still have the courage to embark on something new? That's Vanessa, a musician I met at a workshop I took right after I quit my job. I hadn't found my passion yet, but I was convinced that learning new skills, like how to use a recorder and audio tape to produce radio stories, might set me on a path to figuring it out. So I signed up for a week-long workshop on the island of Catalina, off the coast of Los Angeles. We met up in the seaside town of Avalon where KISL, the local radio station, is based, in a pale green wooden shack with a generator inside that made so much noise we could barely hear our teacher's instructions. Everyone's hearing me and seeing the meters bounce up and down on there. That's Rob Rosenthal. He leads audio workshops for Transom, a training ground for aspiring public media producers. Rob is like this perfect mix of radio drill sergeant and storytelling Dumbledore. One of the first exercises he had us do was to interview each other. Vanessa and I paired up. In your fantasy, what would, what would be the ideal result of this workshop? Um, I think my real goal is not to necessarily be wed to the idea of audio, but I want to figure out a subject and then write about it, blog about it, photographing it, do videos about it, do audio stories, write songs about it, you know, just every creative way that I can think about just digging in so that I immerse myself because I have spent my whole career being the instant expert on a whole lot of different topics, but I never have taken the plunge of just really going deep in one thing. So I want to figure out what that thing is and then just like be all over it. So I'm excited about that. And do you see yourself wanting to work for an organization again, like National Geographic? Vanessa impressed me because she was a talented singer-songwriter She'd recorded a CD of incredible songs, and she was also a budding audio producer. 
She already knew where she wanted to go deep. I have a podcast that I'm going to launch, and I have a lot of ideas for it. Since our workshop, Vanessa's gone on to launch that podcast. It's called Nocturne, Stories About the Night, and it's great. You can check it out on iTunes. I was much less certain of where I was headed. I mostly knew what I didn't want to do anymore. One of my frustrations as an editor was that I could coach and cajole and try and get writers to do a certain kind of narrative story that I love, love, love. But at the end of the day, it's their story. I have uh, really decided that I want to listen to my own heart and I want to find my own voice and I want to figure out how to tell my own stories. To keep this whole journey metaphor going, creating this podcast is not my destination. It's the path. And it's already made me realize that just getting on the path, it changes you. Which brings me back to a so, walk I took um, recently I'm on a walk. when my husband Tio was away on business and I had no one to talk to but my I iPhone. I recognize that I can create really meaningful things without necessarily being a you know, war correspondent or something that I'm never going to be. And I think it's aspiring so high that can be one of the worst discouragers of, of just making things. But I want to make my aspirations realistic enough to achieve so that I don't just not act on them at all. Does that make sense? Because if I look at this whole mountain I need to climb, I may choose to stay at base camp forever. I can just see me hanging out, cooking food, trading stories, securing provisions, looking up at the horizon, but never starting out for the peak. Being midway between, you know, having had this desk job, a safe editor job, but, but you know, brushed up against all these people who have done amazing things. And it's, it's fueled this aspiration. Um, and now I want to like downsize that aspiration and maximize the skill that I need to create some really cool things that only I can create. So finally, I feel ready to begin the ascent. I just keep telling myself that getting on the path is enough. I can take a deep breath, take one little step up the mountain, and not think of my final destination. At least, not for now. Today's episode was written, edited, and mixed by me, Barbara Paulson. I want to thank my former colleagues at National Geographic for the collaboration and creativity I got to be a part of every day for so many years. Since I left the magazine a year and a half ago, there have been lots of changes, and many of my friends have moved on to new things. I wish all of you well as you join me in figuring out the next chapter. Special thanks to Pam Chen and Chad Stevens and his students at the University of North Carolina who produced and edited the videos that so inspired me. And thanks to photographers Lindsay Adario, Brent Sturton, Marcus Bleasdale, David Allen Harvey, Lynn Johnson, Ed Cashy, Gerd Ludwig, Nick Nichols, Stephanie Sinclair, and so many others for sharing their passion. And remember, the Midway stories I want to tell are not just my stories, I want to tell yours too. So please email me at midwaypodcast at gmail.com. Now, in some scenes from upcoming episodes of Midway, my family hits the road to retrace the Grapes of Wrath journey to California. This land was 
was made for you. Where we meet people struggling through drought and much more. I lost my kids. I lost everything. And I come to realize that the real value of the trip may be in changing my relationship with Miro. I have to say from my point of view as your mother that you used to be a lot more talkative with me. It's more that we kind of have, uh, you know, sometimes different interests. So. Right. Yeah. Thanks for listening. And you can support Midway by subscribing in iTunes. Look for a new episode in a few weeks. Thought you were incandescent.